are uh, talk. We are doing part two of a uh, of a sermon series here, uh, just a two-parter, and I want to get into that now. Uh, last week, I talked about what is sometimes referred to as the orphan spirit, the orphan spirit, and what that is is a, it's a, it's a, a mentality or a way of viewing life that says, I'm rejected and I am rejectable. And uh, people call it the orphan spirit, the orphan mentality, because it's been well documented uh, that uh, real orphans, even after they've been adopted into a loving family, will often have the mentality of an orphan their whole lives. They'll often struggle uh, as if they, they, they still feel like orphans. And, uh, and, and they'll, they'll kind of view life through the lens of being an orphan even when they've been adopted. And they may have been living with their adoptive loving family for, for decades, and yet they still feel like orphans. They have this deep down sense that I'm rejected and I'm rejectable. I'm like yesterday's trash. Uh, all relationships are just uh, rejections waiting to happen. Uh, and inevitably, if I stick around long enough, I'm going to be rejected. And, uh, and, of course, this causes enormous problems for us personally if we go through life with that interpretation uh, of, of seeing everything as a rejection or a potential rejection. And more than that, it causes huge problems for a community. You know, this year, we've been trying to uh, learn what it means to be a healing community. And it's really hard to be a healing community. It's really hard to heal our community. Uh, it's really hard to live that out if that orphan mentality or that orphan spirit is still kind of floating around or if it's still influencing us. Uh, and uh, if, if uh, you want to learn more about that, go ahead and, and uh, listen or watch last week's if you missed it, uh, it went, in, went into quite length, lengthy detail about, about how that orphan spirit or that orphan mentality influences us. But, as I, as I said last week, Christ counteracts the orphan spirit by adopting us. Jesus Christ is the adopter, uh, and he gives us, to counteract this orphan spirit and this orphan mentality, he gives us the spirit of of adoption. Uh, Galatians 4 verses 4 through 7 says that God sent his son that we might receive the full rights or the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, God has made you also an heir. And so it's the spirit of God the spirit of adoption, who comes inside of us, and it's him who calls out, Daddy, Abba, Daddy. Uh, Abba is ancient Hebrew for Daddy. He said he, he, he's the one who enables us to cry Daddy to him. In other words, he makes us feel his daddiness. He makes us experience his daddiness. So uh, rather than God's daddiness just being a, an idea or a thought or a theory, he actually enables us to feel God's daddiness. And uh, uh, Paul also writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, adoption. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. 
So a Christian needs to uh, needs the spirit of adoption, needs the Holy Spirit inside of them to be crying out on their behalf, Daddy, you know, we don't have what it takes. We don't have the inner strength to cry out, Daddy. We don't have the inner strength to, to, to feel God's daddiness naturally. So we need his spirit in us to be crying out on our behalf. And I reminded us uh, last week that we found out from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, that, that God actually likes adopting us. God actually enjoys it. It's not a grudging thing. It's not an obligation. Oh, well, I guess I better do this. God actually likes, it's, he takes pleasure in adopting us. And we also found out from the example of, of Jesus in Mark chapter 1 when he was healing a leper. We found out last week that that, uh, that leper who was a, a, an outcast wasn't supposed to be connected to the family of God anymore because of his leprosy, uh, that Jesus, rather than, oh no, here's, here's a headache coming my way, a leper, what do I do about that? It says that Jesus was moved with compassion. Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw that leper. And that's how God feels towards us. When we come to him in our orphan spirit, we come to him in our orphan mentality, we come to him feeling rejected and rejectable. We, we come to him feeling like I shouldn't be allowed to connect with God's family. I shouldn't be allowed to connect with God. Jesus, instead of rolling his eyes at the sight of us, Scripture says that he is moved with compassion when he sees us. And then from Mark 1, it says that Jesus reached out and touched the leper, which he wasn't supposed to do. That's what, how Jesus regards us when we come to him in our leprosy, in our orphan mentality, our orphan spirit. He sees us and he reaches out and he touches us. And it says in that same passage that Jesus wanted to do that. Jesus wanted to do that. So he was moved com- with compassion and he wanted to do it. Jesus wants to touch you and me. Jesus wants to to heal us of our spiritual leprosy that separates us from God and separates us from one another. Well, this week, uh, I want to go a little bit deeper into this whole idea of how God, uh, what God does in us about our orphan spirit. Um, so how does God remedy the orphan spirit? How, how, what's, what's his cure? So many people will say, uh, you know, I think it's just a lack of faith. I think I just need more faith. Well, mm, maybe. Now, it's, it's true that the lack of faith is a problem if you don't know Jesus. You see, the spirit of adoption is only, according to Scripture, is only for the friends of God, people who become friends with God through Jesus. Uh, it, the Holy Spirit doesn't just already exist in everybody. All right, we're all creations of God. We're all uh, equally dignified in God's sight because we're his, his children created by him. But the Holy Spirit doesn't actually live inside of people who haven't yet been made his friend through Jesus. And so for some of us, the reason we don't feel the daddiness of God is simply because we haven't been reconciled to God. Uh, if, if, if we're not a friend, according to Scripture, this is very strong language, but it's very biblical, 
Uh, if we're not a friend, we're an enemy. And so if, if that's the case for us and we're not feeling God's uh, uh, spirit of adoption, then it's, it's maybe because we haven't been reconciled to him in the first place, in which case a lack of faith is our problem and it is time to be reconciled with him. It's time to recognize that it's our sin that separates us from God. That's what's been uh, holding us back from God, making us feel distant from him. It's our own sin. It's time to put our faith in Jesus as the one who brings us back together with God. Put our faith in Jesus as the one sent by God, the one who is God's solution to our, uh, our distance from him, uh, the one who was sent by God to bring us back to him. Uh, recognize and put our faith in Jesus who removes our sin by becoming one of us, by dying on the cross to atone for our sin, by rising again uh, from the dead to prove that he actually did deal with our sin and remove it, and, and put our faith in Jesus as, as God himself. So, uh, and, and, if, and, and if we do that, then we can experience reconciliation with God. We can go from being his enemy to being his friend. And that's when we can experience his daddiness. That's when the Holy Spirit will come inside of us. And whether or not we still feel like an orphan, whether or not we understand what it means to really be his adopted child, his spirit in us will come inside and testify on our behalf. You really are a child of God. I'm telling you in the deepest possible way. And I'm enabling you to cry out, Daddy, so that you can authentically, genuinely say Daddy and mean it because the Holy Spirit is living inside. So, if you're not reconciled with God, then it is a lack of faith that's separating you from God. But that can be remedied. Now, if you already are a friend of Jesus, you've already been reconciled to him, you've already trusted in Jesus to take away your sin and make you a friend of God again, then, uh, you know, some then lack of faith isn't actually your problem because Jesus said all it takes is a mustard seed of faith. I, I, I don't know about you, but some, sometimes I, I, when I, especially when I'm praying for something big, I, I'm, I'm scared to pray because I think I just don't have enough faith. And then God reminds me all you needed was this little mustard seed. The, the key, if uh, you, you feel like you don't have enough faith, is actually to ask for his help to put that little mustard seed of faith in the right place. Does, does that make sense? Uh, it's not how much faith you have or don't have. We all get this mustard seed, and Jesus said that's enough. It was Jesus' own words, that's enough. That's all you need. The key then is, to, is where you put that faith. And so the Holy Spirit can help you put that faith in the right person, and that's Jesus. Okay? So it's not a lack of faith or an amount of faith uh, for many of us. It's that we need to put our faith in the right place. And this morning... Uh, we're going to be praying into uh, our, our struggle with the orphan spirit. And, uh, and, and the key is going to be putting our faith in Jesus. That's, that's going to be the, the key for how uh, we're going to be able to enter into what God has for us. It's just putting our little mustard seed of faith in the right place. So, so uh, if you feel like your orphan spirit is just so overwhelming and so big and so huge and so influential, uh, Jesus said, if you just take that little mustard seed of faith and put it in the right place, put it in Jesus. That's, that's how God is going to work in us. Now, many people think 
that uh, the, the problem is that because it's sometimes this orphan mentality is influenced by demonic forces, that the, the key is to be delivered, to have deliverance prayer. And we are going uh, um, to, some of us need that. And, and in fact, in a little bit, uh, we're going to open it up, open up our altar, and, and, and some people will, are going to be welcome to receive deliverance prayer. Um, uh, and it's true that demons definitely flock to, uh, kind of like vultures flock to a dead body. Demons love to flock to this orphan mentality and try to influence it and try to exacerbate it and make it worse. Um, so, so definitely pray, but according to what Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 43, deliverance is actually only a temporary fix if we don't turn our lives around. Uh, according to that passage, um, unrepentant, unchanged lives are like flinging open the door to the vultures and saying, come on in, there's a dead body here. Um, and so uh, in order to permanently shoo away demonic forces, uh, we need uh, to live changed lives, transformed lives, so that we're no longer welcoming back unclean spirits. Um, and so really the key here for this transformed life is uh, God's deeper remedy, and that's the main thing I want to talk about this morning, is uh, in, in order to really tackle the mentality of the orphan mindset, is we need Scripture's solution, which is what, what Paul calls the renewing of the mind. The renewing of the mind. And I just want to talk about that for a minute. If you could look with me at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Uh, Paul has some very powerful things to say there in Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. Uh, Paul writes in this passage, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living and holy sacrifices, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to the orphan mentality. Don't be conformed to this view, this lens of I'm rejected and rejectable. But be transformed, how? By an instantaneous change? By a quick prayer for deliverance? For, no, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may test and approve what the will of God is, that which is good, pleasing, and perfect. So Paul lays out for us the pathway to the transformed life, the transformed life that no longer welcomes uh, demonic forces or unclean spirits into our lives, the, the pathway to turning our life around uh, in, in, a, in a full repentance towards God. Uh, and it, it, uh, here, this idea of being renewed in the mind, that is the, that is the process, and I'm using that word process very deliberately, that is the process of altering our patterns in our mind. The, how we interpret life, how we understand life, how, the lens we look at life through, and that doesn't happen instantaneously, and it doesn't even happen quickly. In fact, it takes an entire lifetime to go through the process of having our minds renewed. And it's daily work or daily 
participating with the work of the Spirit in us to retrain our brain, retrain our inner patterns of thinking so that we can have a transformed life. Now, look here in this passage at the end goal of it. The end goal is so that we can test and approve what the will of God is. Okay? We can test and approve what the will of God is. Now, that, that, there's, in, uh, most English translations have a couple words, test and approve or prove. Uh, in, in Greek, there was just one word, but there, we don't have the equivalent of that word in English. And so the English translators had to come up with a couple different words to try to get at what this, what this is. Uh, so to test and approve basically means both that we need to learn how to understand what God's will is, like what is God's will in the first place. Uh, you're not born knowing what God's will is, okay? So, so what is God's will in the first place? But then also this, this other idea that's in the original Greek word, which is to approve of God's will. Approve of it. Now that means, that's, that's really critical to understand, you guys, because that means liking God's will, enjoying God's will, thinking God's will is good, all right? The, the, the words Paul uses here, uh, he says, that which is good, pleasing, and perfect. And you see, I, I came to a point of, 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 of realizing when I started to understand that I really was struggling with this orphan mentality, this orphan spirit, I, I began to realize that at the heart of it was that I secretly suspected that God's will wasn't all that good, really not that pleasurable. Ugh. You know, it was all about sacrifice and death to self and hardship and giving up and ugh, not very pleasurable. And I definitely didn't think it was perfect. I thought, I mean, it's okay. God's will, you know, it's okay. But, I mean, perfect? That means there's nothing to add to it. There's nothing to subtract from it. That means it's like everything's there in one package. In, in fact, the Greek word for perfect could also be translated as complete. That means it's the whole thing is there, God's will. It's all wrapped up in God's will. There's nothing that we need to, there's no way that we need to alter it. It doesn't need to evolve. It doesn't need to improve for us. It means God's will is, it's, it's perfect. It's complete. It's all there. And so what needs to happen, the end goal of this renewing of the mind is that we not only know what God's will is, but we would begin to approve of it. We'd begin to think, we'd go from suspecting, like I did, it's not all that good, it's not that pleasurable, it's not very perfect, to believing, ah, oh, it is good, oh, it is pleasurable, and it's complete. There's nothing more to add to it. And I think a lot of Christians go through life, especially if we've had, you know, significant trials, and, uh, you know, most of us have, if, if we've had significant trials at the hand of the church or at the hand of our Christian experience, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's easy to kind of have this almost, uh, the, the way I described it at one point was that I, I felt like I was sort of always crouching, like anticipating when's the next blow going to come. There, there was a season in my life where I just felt like, Ugh, I, I, uh, I'm always sort of like on edge uh, waiting for the next bad thing to happen. In other words, I'm, I'm waiting for God's not-so-good will to happen to me. And I, I began to realize that I needed the renewing of my mind so that rather than always kind of crouched and like, oh, what's, what's, what's the next blow going to be? 
that I could go to this place of like, oh, God's will, it's actually good, it's actually pleasing, and it's perfect. So, how do we make this change? How, how do we have this transformation? How do we go through the renewing of our mind? Like I said, it's lifelong, it's daily work, uh, it's not going to happen instantaneously. We, we are going to uh, open up the altar in a little bit, and, and there'll be people here to pray with you. Uh, but what we're not going to pray is that you walk away with an instantly perfect, renewed mind, because God doesn't want that. God set it out to be a lifelong process, okay? Okay. Uh, we will pray, some of us will pray that our minds will be renewed, but, you know, don't, don't walk away thinking like, boom, I, I'm, I'm, I'm suddenly my mind needs no more renewing. Um, but, uh, uh, but it, it, so it is a process, okay, but, but how? How do we cooperate with that process? How do we cooperate with that process daily? Well, let's uh, look at this passage a little more closely Paul starts out in verse 1. He says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. Paul's foundation for urging us to offer up our bodies as living sacrifices, to be transformed so that we can test and prove God's will. Paul's appealing to us by the mercy of God. He's saying, so, and, and by by appealing to us by the mercies of God, um, he's first of all saying that God's mercy is the means of our transformation. God's mercy is the way that we are transformed. Because this isn't a self-help, pro- self-help program. Uh, some, sometimes it gets presented that way as, uh, you know, it, it, and, and sometimes you wonder, like, is this any different than kind of the self-help books I find in the store that says, here's the route to happiness. Just do these five things every day and I'll be happy. Uh, it doesn't work like that. It's, it's by the mercies of God. The mercies of God is the means by which we are transformed, the means by which our minds are renewed. It also means, when Paul uses this, is that he, he's also exhorting us to get a bigger vision of God's mercy. Most of us have a very paltry, pale version, a vision of God's mercy. We have a very small vision of it. Uh, It's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, sometimes uh, you'll see a picture, a a beautiful picture of a mountain in a book. And the picture is beautiful, but uh, it's nothing like seeing the real thing. And if you ever had that experience where, okay, oh, here's this beautiful mountain in the book, and I want to go visit it someday, but then you actually go and visit it, and it is jaw-droppingly different than the picture in the book. Does that make sense? And many of us, our vision of God's mercy is like seeing a picture in a book. And what we need to do is turn our eyes and see the, the, big, the, the real thing, the, the full vision of his mercies. You see, Romans chapters 1 through 11, you'll notice that I'm, I'm reading this out of Romans 12, the 12th chapter. The first 11 chapters is an unfolding of the mercies of God. If you've ever had a chance to read through all the book of Romans, you'll see that those first 11 chapters is this lengthy uh, explanation that Paul goes into about the mercies of God. 
where he unfolds the mercies of God for us. And, and if you stick through the whole thing, it'll, it'll be like viewing the real mountain versus just seeing it in a picture. Uh, you'll have the whole mountain unfolded before you. Now, I, in case anyone's scared, we're not going to go back and reread chapters 1 through 11 right now. Okay? In case anyone's scared, don't bolt out of here in fear. Though I would recommend doing that at, at some point on your own because uh, chapters 1 through 11 just drip with the mercies of God. And not just a verse here and there. If, you've, if, if, if you uh, have only been, stu- if your Christian devotion is just a verse here or there, I want to just challenge you and encourage you Try to take a, a step back and look at the big picture. Go through a whole book in the Bible. If Romans is too scary, start with Ephesians or something uh, like that and, and see how the whole picture of God's mercy unfolds before you. Uh, but the whole Bible is actually uh, an unfolding of God's mercy. Just, God's mercy just drips out of every pore uh, of, of, of the Bible. Uh, and, and in fact, I, w- I would encourage you, if your Bible study and your, your devotion time has become stale and boring, one way that you can change it up is to, is to start thinking of your, of your Bible study as a hunt for the mercies of God. To go to Scripture and, 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 and say, okay, how am, where, where am I going to find the mercies of God today? And, and start looking at all of the Bible in that way. It's like this treasure hunt for the mercies of God. But the most pronounced way that God unfolds his mercies before us, the strongest and most vivid and most gripping way God paints a picture of the real mountain of his mercies for us is in the person of Jesus Christ. I'm just going to read another passage that Paul wrote from the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes this about the person of Jesus Christ. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing greatness of his riches, of the riches of his grace, in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Did you notice how the person of Jesus is right in the center of all those words? It's with Christ. It's in Christ. It's through Christ. It's next to Christ. It's under Christ. Jesus has been placed at the very center of how God unfolds his mercies to us. And I just want us to pay attention to a few of the phrases here in this passage. It says that God is, has a little bit of mercy. It says he's rich in mercy. Now, it, it might be obvious to you 
oh, well, of course God's rich. I mean, he owns everything. He created everything. You know, he can draw upon a, 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 the most distant galaxy to give us some energy. Of course he's rich. But Paul went out of his way to say that he's rich in it. Paul went out of his way. Yeah, it, it might be obvious to you that it's, it, it's rich, or that he's rich, but Paul is emphasizing the richness of this mercy. And then Paul goes on to emphasize in the next line, because of his great love. The, the love of God is great. The psalmist and, and Moses, when they would pray to God, they would pray, God, according to the greatness of your loving kindness, hear my prayer. We can appeal to God and we can experience the mercies of God according to the greatness of his love for us. And then it says that Paul did this, or sorry, Paul writes that God did this when we were dead in our transgressions, that means while we were still fighting God, while we were still opposing him, while we were still rebelling against him, while we were still struggling with the orphan mentality that I'm rejected and rejectable, while we were in the middle of that, not waiting for us to get cleaned up, God made us alive together with Christ. And then Paul says it's by grace you've been saved. That, that phrase grace, that undeserved favor that God extends to us. Normally, a, a, a rich father would only give favor to a few favored inner circle people, some of his family members, some close friends. But God, it's saying here that God is giving that favor freely to all of us. And, 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 and then I, I wanna, want you to pay attention to the last part that I just read. It says that the whole reason God did this, the whole crazy reason behind this scheme of reconciling us back to God was so that, so that in the ages to come, God might show the surpassing greatness. Now, that word surpassing is, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a Greek word, and it literally means to overthrow, to go over the top. Paul was picking a word that didn't get used very often in ancient Greek to show, to say that God's effort in showing us his mercy is over the top. It's, it, it's literally where we get the word uh, hyper, we, we, it, we get the word anything that has the prefix hyper to it comes from this word, uh, hyperballon. Uh, and, and so we could say it's God's hyperactive, the hyperactive riches of his grace. I mean, Paul had already explained and said that God was rich in mercy, but here he's saying God is showing the hyperactivity of the riches of his grace. That is good news for you and me, that God is hyperactively throwing above and beyond his, the riches of his grace towards us. And how does he do it? It says he does it to, uh, in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It's in Jesus that he does this. We need you to bring new wine out of us. Some of us, Lord, have been in a desert season. Some of us, the isolation of the pandemic has made us feel that orphan spirit, that orphan mentality more more egregiously than ever before. Lord, we need a fresh touch from you. On this, this day, we commemorate the first Pentecost. We, uh, 
we need you to touch us all over again. We need you to strengthen us. Lord, we need you to pour out your life on us, Lord God. We, it's a season, it was prophetically heard the other day for Bethel. It's a season of new wine and new, new oil for Bethel Christian Fellowship. Lord, we need a fresh touch of new wine and new oil. We need your waters, living waters pouring out on us. So I'm going to conclude this portion of our time together. And uh, those who joined us online will be saying farewell uh, to you. I'm going to give a benediction and then give some instructions for how we're going to go on from here. Uh, and so n now may the power of the spirit of adoption, who is given to us out of the hyperactive riches of the mercies of God, through the person of Jesus, who's been made heir of all things, May you go now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, bringing his message of adoption everywhere you go, with your words, with your actions, with your lives. The spirit, the stream of the living water of the message of adoption spread through us to all around.